You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the Thursday, October 26, 2023 reading of the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Levine. News. Now you know. October 26, 2023. Police Oversight Panel Ordinance, Boulder Budget, and COVID-19 Snapshot. In case you missed it, Police Oversight Panel Ordinance overhauled, co-chair resigns. Nearly three years after Boulder City Council approved the initial ordinance creating a police oversight panel to review internal investigations and make recommendations on handling of complaints, Council last week unanimously approved an emergency ordinance changing a number of rules governing the volunteer group. Few of those changes. The city manager will appoint members and form an advisory committee to assist with selection. The advisory committee is not required for the two student positions, which are one-year terms. Previously, panelists were recommended by a selection committee and approved by city council. The panel can review, quote, critical incidents, unquote, and, quote, incidents of serious bodily injury, unquote, even if no complaint has been filed. Previously, the panel could only review internal investigations after a complaint was filed. The previous ordinance's ban on, quote, any, on any, quote, real or perceived bias, unquote, was replaced with a requirement for panelists to have the, quote, ability to be objective and impartial, unquote. Changes to the ordinance were drafted by a working group consisting of current and former panel members, representatives from Centro Amistad, the NAACP, the city attorney, and the Boulder Police Department. Following last week's approval, POP co-chair Daniel Leonard resigned, citing disappointment in the feedback process during the creation of the new ordinance. Changes went into effect immediately after approval, ending the group's pause on work that began in May. That's from Kaylee Harder. Boulder adopts 2024 budget. The Boulder City Council officially adopted a 2024 budget on October 19. The total approved budget is $515. The city estimates this number is nearly 5% higher than the 2023 budget in terms of operating expenses, but the number appears lower due to changes in bond proceeds practices. The general fund, where the city has flexibility in how it spends its dollars, is $196.1 million, a 4.2% increase from 2023. City Council made minimum changes to the recommended budget. See, now you know, September 21, 2023, that added funds to staff's proposed budget. 
Three one-time funding changes were added to the Transportation and General Fund, totaling $613,000, and one ongoing funding addition for underpass lighting for $30,000. Despite adopted, uncertainty remains. If ballot measure 2A is passed, the 0.15% sales and use tax that generates about $7 million annually to the city's general fund will be split in half to support the arts. That would leave $500,000 in additional annual revenue total over the next five years to allocate to other programs. From Will Matuska. COVID-19 Snapshot COVID-19 hospitalizations are on the rise according to Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, CDPHE, data. During the week of October 15, the state saw more than 200 COVID-related hospitalizations, more than double the number from two months ago when hospitalizations began trending upward. That's slightly more than the number of hospitalizations at this time last year, but still far less than numbers during peak times in December 2020, 1,800, and January 2022, about 1,600. There were more than 2,800 recorded cases during the week of October 8, the most recent week of data at the time of publication. During the same week last year, there were 4,230 cases of the virus reported. Despite these increases, COVID-19 hospitalizations remain low, CDPHE said in an email, and hospitalizations for flu and RSV typically start to increase in October and peak between now and February before dropping off in the spring. State health officials urge Coloradans to protect themselves and others by getting their seasonal In Boulder County, just over 80% of the population has completed the primary vaccine series compared to about 70% at the state level. More than half of Boulder County has received one booster and just under a third of the population has received two or more boosters. To date, there have been 93,901 cases and 813 deaths due to COVID-19 in Boulder County, according to the CDPHE data. From Kaylee Harder. News. Boulder Gannick. Clear the air. A new vehicle standard aims to clean up transportation emissions. By Will Matuska, October 26, 2023. Colorado is making progress to clean emissions spewing from its roads and highways. The clean car standard adopted on October 20 by the Air Quality Control Commission aims to expand low and zero emission light duty vehicles like passenger cars, SUVs, and trucks to quote, improve air quality save Coloradans money, and address climate change, unquote. The new standard strengthens the previous clean vehicle standard. Quote, 
Colorado is already among the states with the highest concentration of electric vehicles, and we don't plan on hitting the brakes anytime soon, unquote, said Michael Ogletree, director of the state's Air Pollution Control Division, in a press release. Quote, Coloradans want low and zero emissions vehicles because they help them get where they're going while breathing cleaner air and saving money. This standard will make clean accessible across the state and improve air quality in local communities overburdened by pollution from busy roadways, unquote. The standard directs vehicle manufacturers to make more zero-emission light-duty vehicles, battery electric, plug-in hybrid electric, fuel cell electric, beginning with 2027 models and increasing every year through 2032, and to ensure 82% of light-duty vehicles sold in the state are electric by 2032. It also creates more, quote, proactive, unquote, emission standards. A fact sheet developed by the Sierra Club, National Resource Defense Council, and Water Resource Advocates found the health, climate, and economic benefits of the standard total to about $74.5, but the Sierra Club said in a press release it advocated for stronger standards. Transportation is one of the largest source of greenhouse gas emissions in the state. The goal set in 2018 by the state is to have nearly 1 million EVs on the road by 2030 and net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. The standard will reduce exposure to tailpipe emissions in communities disproportionately impacted by pollution, many of which are located near busy roadways, according to the state. The upward trend of electric vehicle purchases is continuing to rise, a report from the Colorado Automobile Dealers Association says. The association's October report found that through the first nine months of the year, battery electric vehicles accounted for 11.2% per market, up from 7.8% last year. Data compiled by the association also showed purchases of electric, hybrid, and plug-in hybrid have been on the rise since 2020. The state's top-selling electric vehicle from the last three months Tesla Model Y costs nearly $50,000, according to Kelly Blue Book. The federal government has a clean vehicle tax credit for qualified buyers up to $7,500, and Colorado taxpayers can be eligible for a $5,000 tax credit for the purchase of a new EV. Opinion Letters, October 26, 2023, by readers like you. <clears throat> Regarding why is your ballot yelling at you? Thanks for publishing article, Why is your ballot shouting at you? From News, October 19. The reason all caps appear in legal documents is because lawyers think they are smarter than everyone else. It has been scientifically tested and proven over and over again that upper and lowercase text 
in serif fonts, by the way, is not only more legible than all caps and sans serif, but also better understood by readers. I know this because I used to work in advertising, where my paycheck depended on results. But lawyers, they are convinced they're smarter than all the rest of us and think putting words in all caps make them appear more important. It doesn't. What makes something more important is the content of the message, not the case of the characters. Many times, lawyers don't want us to read and comprehend their words. It makes it easier for them to sell us nonsense and deceive us about their real... So thanks, Kaylee Harder and Boulder Weekly, for speaking the truth and outing the nonsense that is lawyer talk. From Tim Orr in Boulder. 2A. Good for everybody, including Boulder's children. Boulder's ballot measure 2A, part of which increases funding for the city's arts and culture programs, would be a wonderful thing for all Boulder residents, but I think it would be especially beneficial to Boulder's children. Community funds invested in the arts are like seeds planted that reap financial benefits many times over. This makes sense. Imagine people attend a play from Boulder or outlying communities. Before going, they decide to have dinner on the Pearl Street Mall. On the way there, they pop into a store and make a purchase. This is all great. But the seeds planted that reap an even more meaningful harvest are the short benefits to our children. When I was growing up, my parents lived on a modest budget. However, thanks to opportunities allotted, I was able to attend performances and arts programs. My curiosity and love of learning were nurtured by these experiences. They also helped me develop confidence and a desire to try new things. Children today certainly face greater challenges than I did decades ago. No doubt they need all the positive experiences they can have to promote curiosity, learning, creativity, and confidence, as well as feeling connected to their community. And certainly, any time they are motivated to get off their phones is a good thing. The Boulder Ballet, Parlando School of Musical Arts, Frequent Flyers Aerial Dance, and Studio Arts all offer wonderful youth programs. These and other organizations that focus on under-resourced youth include Streetwise Youth, Mi Chant Cantley, and the Boulder Muse. A healthier arts and culture budget would allow organizations like these to continue to thrive as well as promote even more programs for children. Please join me, vote yes on 2A, and invest in Boulder's children. From Mary Lynn Bruni in Boulder. Support Junie Joseph in 2024. When I realize that election season can be a bit of a smack to the senses by being tedious and somewhat redundant as candidates clamor for your attention, I figured I would share some joy. One of the most galvanizing experiences of my advocacy career thus far came courtesy of Junie Joseph, who immediately sprung into action upon election to the House of Representatives. She listened to the cries of the unheard. She collaborated with stakeholders on both sides of the aisle, and she succeeded from introduction through signing into law 
of bills like HB 23-1027 concerning parent and child family time, which grants meaningful contact between children and their parents. This law became legally enforceable in January, and already I have been able to witness parents and children gain family access time, including a family that endure, had endured 692 agonizing days apart. I share this memory to serve as a testament to Juni's compassionate responsibility, balanced approach, and incredible determination. There are a lot of issues that still need tackling, and Juni's approachability, special attention to detail, and strong emphasis on social justice serve the community in delivering desired outcomes on those issues. Her stances are in clear support of our climate, protecting human rights, getting folks back to work and housed, as well as ensuring that our existing systems work for everybody. Our state needs leaders who are not afraid to say and do the things that need to be said and done. And Juni does that every single day. Juni is not merely occupying a seat. She is optimizing that seat. I emphatically endorse Juni Joseph for re-election to House District 10, and I cannot wait to see the things she will continue to accomplish in that role. From Martha Wilson in Boulder. Vote Ryan Shukard. As a member of Boulder's Environmental Advisory Board, with a decade of work in climate change, to endorse Ryan Shukard for Boulder City Council. While I am speaking here as an individual, I wholeheartedly believe that Ryan's vision and commitment to environmental sustainability make him an outstanding candidate for our city's leadership. As the mother of a two-year-old, I want to ensure Boulder is a safe, healthy, and resilient place for my son to grow old. Ryan's comprehensive approach to tackling big issues like climate change and public safety aligns perfectly with the values and aspects of aspirations of all aspects of Boulder's community interests. His track record of advocating for safe and climate-friendly transportation policies through his work on the Transportation Advisory Board is impressive. Ryan understands that addressing climate change requires more than just rhetoric. It demands informed policy decisions steps toward a more resilient future. Furthermore, Ryan Shukard's support for affordable housing, transit-oriented development, and preserving Boulder's unique natural beauty while accommodating responsible growth demonstrates his balanced and pragmatic approach. It's refreshing to see a candidate who understands the interconnectedness of environmental sustainability, economic development, and social equity. I believe that Ryan Shukard's passion for the environment, his experience in advocating for sustainable policies, and his dedication to community engagement make him the right choice for Boulder City Council. I encourage my fellow residents to join me in voting for Ryan. Learn more at ryanforbolder.com. From Hannah Davis in Boulder. Feet Weed Between the Lines, Special K Education. 
the FDA issues a warning on ketamine use, highlighting the need for standardized psychedelic-assisted therapy training programs by Will Brenza, October 26, 2023. Therapy clinics offering treatment with ketamine, a dissociative drug used in medical settings for more than 50 years, have started opening up across the U.S., despite there being no nationally approved training, guidelines, or curriculum for the therapists that run them, and despite the legal gray area such operations exist in. That's why the FDA issued a warning about the misuse of ketamine on October 10. It reminded both patients and healthcare providers that ketamine therapy for depression is not approved by the FDA. The use of these drugs without a trained healthcare professional present could put patients at serious risk and that there is no, quote, evidence to suggest that it is safer, more effective, or works faster than, unquote, antidepressants that have already been approved by the FDA. The warning concludes, quote, Patients and healthcare providers should be aware that FDA has identified potential safety concerns associated with the use of compounded ketamine products from compounders and telemedicine platforms, including abuse and misuse, psychiatric events, increases in blood pressure, respiratory depression, and lower urinary tract and bladder symptoms." Unquote. But ketamine has been used medically for decades. It was first approved for use in the U.S. in 1970, employed extensively in the Vietnam War for surgical anesthesia. To this day, ketamine is used by medics in war zones and by paramedics and doctors here in the U.S. for acute pain treatment and anesthesia. It's even on the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines. Taken in sub-anesthesia doses, ketamine produces psychedelic effects. It isn't a classic psychedelic like magic mushrooms or LSD. Rather, ketamine is a dissociative derived from the same substance as, quote, angel dust, unquote. This special class of psychoactive drugs is characterized by a state of detachment from one's body and the external world, a state known as depersonalization or derealization. Ketamine can be a dangerous drug, too high of a dose, and a patient might enter a state known as a, quote, K-hole, unquote. An overdose can be lethal. But the drug has proven so effective at treating depression in clinical trials that in 2019, the Food and Drug Administration, FDA, approved a ketamine-based intranasal antidepressant called, quote, esketamine, unquote. However, the Federal Bureau has not approved ketamine itself for the treatment of any psychiatric disorder. Quote, essentially, the FDA is warning or notifying the public that there's still a lot that is not understood about ketamine and how it may be used, or whether it is useful for particular indications or off-label indications, unquote, says Ingmar Gorman, the co-founder and chief executive officer of Fluence, a psychedelic education company training 
professionals in psychedelic therapies. See Weed Between the Lines, Training Psychedelic Therapists, January 12, 2023. Gorman says the message from the FDA is important to make sure mental health professionals are educated about what we don't know. Fluence came to be because of the widespread off-label use of ketamine to treat different psychiatric issues. The clinics administering the therapy were neglecting the fact that their patients were having subjective experiences. Quote, those experiences can be blissful or really validating or spiritual, in which case maybe there's not that much support that's needed, unquote, Gorman says. Quote, but then there are also some people who might have very anxious, potentially even traumatic experiences. They might experience intense dissociation. They might experience loss of control. And then it's an adverse psychological reaction. But many therapists aren't trained and don't know how to deal with it." Unquote. Today, Fluence offers training programs for therapists interested in MDMA, ketamine, and psilocybin-assisted therapy. The company was selected in 2022 by the state of Oregon to be one of the state-licensed facilitators of psychedelic-assisted therapy training. Its curriculum received approval from the Oregon Health Authority and has been licensed by the Oregon Higher Education Coordinating Commission, and it already has plans to expand to Colorado. Quote, it's imperative that practitioners are well-trained and informed, unquote, Gorman said of the recent FDA warning about ketamine. Quote, ensuring adherence to best practices not only guarantee patient safety, but also establish trust and credibility in this rapidly evolving sector." Unquote. Features, weed between the lines, relief maps. MDMA is expected to get federal approval as a therapy treatment by 2024, by Will Brenza, October 19, 2023. Post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, affects roughly 5% of U.S. adults every year, according to the Centers for Disease Control, CDC. That number is likely low, as many who suffer from it go undiagnosed. PTSD can be a debilitating condition. People get stuck in negative thought loops, feeling impulsive, sometimes explosive anger, and experiencing uncontrollable bouts of fear, guilt. Many who suffer from PTSD lose interest in things they love, and those with severe cases often deal with long-term insomnia, anxiety, and paranoia. The condition wasn't officially recognized as a disorder until 1980, according to the National Center for PTSD. And six years later, Dr. Rick Doblin founded the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, MAPS, or MAPS, a nonprofit organization dedicated to researching the healing potential of MDMA and other psychedelics. Doblin, having experimented with MDMA personally, recognized its unique potential as a therapy drug, particularly for PTSD and other forms of trauma. 
The research MAPS spearheaded, funded and otherwise, supported in the decades since, has helped on this substance. The latest MAPS-funded study published in Nature Medicine is a landmark piece of research that seems to justify everything the organization has worked toward, toward over the last 37 years. It was an 18-week phase 3 clinical trial of MDMA-assisted therapy for PTSD among a racially diverse set of 52 patients. Nearly 30% of participants suffered from moderate PTSD, and the other 73.1% suffered from severe PTSD. More than 80% had a lifetime history of suicidal ideation. A, quote, substantial portion of participants, unquote, the researchers wrote, dealt with simultaneous conditions like depression, multiple trauma, and dissociative PTSD, which are all associated with treatment resistance. For the study, patients underwent three 90-minute sober sessions with a two-person therapy team for preparation. They were then randomized to receive either MDMA treatment or a placebo, with therapy once a month for three months. Every treatment period consisted of three eight-hour dosing sessions in conjunction with therapy with a MAPS-trained state-licensed therapist. The study's results were clear. Quote, Notably, 45 of 52, or 86.5 percent, of participants treated with MDMA, AT, achieved a clinically meaningful benefit, and 37 of 52, 71.2% of participants, no longer met criteria for PTSD, unquote. The study reads, quote, Given the diverse population and degree of participant complexity, the replication of efficacy is particularly notable, unquote. MDMA induces pro-social feelings and softens responses to emotionally jolting and fearful stimuli. That makes it an ideal drug in conjunction with therapy for addressing deep-seated trauma. This study not only strongly shows that, but also the, proves the treatment is safe. No deaths, illnesses, or other adverse effects were reported by any of the patients who received MDMA treatment. This successful trial is a big step. The Food and Drug Administration, FDA, is currently considering MDMA for approval as a therapy drug, and this successful trial tips the scales heavily in MDMA's favor because it backs up findings from previous MAPS-funded research. Quote, Thanks to the combined efforts of dozens of therapists, hundreds of participants who volunteered in MAP-sponsored trials, and many thousands of generous donors, MDMA-assisted therapy for PTSD is on track to be considered for approval by the FDA, unquote, Doblin said in a press release about the Nature Medicine study. Should MDMA get FDA approval, Federal rescheduling, decriminalization, or outright legalization could be right around the corner. And Colorado is already locked in to legalize the substance in accordance. In June 2022, 
Governor Jared Polis signed a bill to legalize MDMA approvals pending federal approval. Rick Doblin is ready for that moment. He's been waiting for it since six. Quote, we hope that MDMA-assisted therapy for PTSD will be approved by the FDA next year and that our open science, open books principle will inspire researchers to make this just the first of many psychedelic-assisted therapies to be validated through diligent research, unquote, Doblin said. Cuisine, Nibbles, Taste of the New by John Lendorf, October 26, 2023. I may be a food critic, but that doesn't mean I love going to new restaurants and tasting new dishes and cuisines. Different is scary, potentially pricey, and might taste yucky. I like my favorite dishes at my favorite Boulder restaurants where servers know me, and yes, I even have favorite booths. Luckily, curiosity and my profession force me kick out the door to yet another new bakery, cafe, bistro, or farm stand. Here are some of the best things I've tasted lately at new places in Boulder County. Stuffed chilies at Coma Mexican Grill. Coma is a conjugation of the Spanish verb comer, to eat. I was wicked hungry when I grabbed Saturday brunch at Coma Mexican Grill, 4800 Baseline Road, Unit E105 in Boulder, hidden in plain sight in the Meadows Shopping Center. Free, fresh corn chips with thick salsa plus a big side of chunky guacamole tided me over while checking out weekend breakfast selections like chilaquiles and menudo. The chili relleno called to me a lightly fried house-roasted Anaheim pepper filled with cheese and smothered in meatless green chili sauce, side cheese-topped refried pintos, Mexican rice, lettuce, tomato, and warm tortillas. Coma also offers freshly fried sopapillas, a full bar of margaritas, Mexican beers, and tequilas, plus cinnamony horchata and jaritos sodas. Spam musubi and katsu at L&L Hawaiian Barbecue. Having gotten hip to L&L Hawaiian Barbecue in Aurora, I made a beeline when Boulder's shop recently opened at 2323 30th Street, dishing the comfy fare I remember. The spam and eggs musubi, sizzled meat with seaweed-wrapped rice and sauce, is a great meal by itself if you can overcome your Monty Python misconceptions. The chicken katsu plate covers crispy schnitzel-like chicken thighs with a mild <laughs> then pairs it with steamed rice and a mayo-centric macaroni salad. While I was there, devotees streamed in for poke, saimin, or ramen, kalua pork, short ribs, fried shrimp, and grilled mahi. Sourdough loaves at Daily Grains. From a home kitchen in Lafayette, welcome newcomer Daily Grains is turning out exceptional sourdough loaves using freshly milled heirloom grain. Wife and husband Ashley Overstreet and Paul Bonneville 
craft exceptional oatmeal raisin cookies, and their crusty, not-too-sweet chocolate cherry sourdough loaf makes outstanding toast. Daily Grains currently sells at the Cure Organic Farm roadside stand on Wednesdays and Saturdays, but the owners expect to break ground soon on a new Lafayette bakery. Bread at St. Vrain Cidery. My taste buds were preset for sweet with a side order of spicy heat when I took a sip of St. Vrain Cidery's 350 Terry Street, Unit 130 in Longmont, gingerbread. Instead, the drink offers a semi-sweet, yeasty first taste with ginger, cinnamon, and clove emerging, but not overwhelming. A little brown sugar and molasses add earthiness without being syrupy. The final flavor is the essence of the season, no pumpkin required. Pistachio Gelato at Heaven Creamery. I stumbled on Kiwi International Delights and Coffee in Avon and went in because the name was so odd. It turned out to be a first-class ice cream shop specializing in scratch-made flavors using mostly organic ingredients with options and excellent coffee drinks. The business has expanded as Heaven Creamery, opening recently at 2525 Arapahoe Avenue. I sampled ice creams, gelatos, and vegan sorbets using small metal tasting spoons, so superior to plastic. I settled on a spectacular pistachio gelato, naturally light brown instead of artificial green. The moderately sweet, super creamy treat was infused with tons of nut flavor. For a change of pace, the sweet corn gelato was like a summer picnic, ice cream off the cob. The menu features an astonishing range of flavors, including activated charcoal, beers, and guanabana. Coming soon, genuine hearty Turkish coffee. Local food news, Main Shack debuts. To the joy of expatriate New England, Main Shack's Boulder location will finally open November 3, dishing lobster rolls, fried clam bellies, and blueberry hand pies at 2010 16th Street. Alice and Rose, the new Alice in Wonderland-themed cafe on the hill, now serves high tea and coffee and cocktails and breakfast and more at 1301 Pennsylvania Avenue in Boulder. The Juicy Seafood Restaurant has opened at 2341 Clover Basin Drive in Longmont. Nearby, Spitz Mediterranean Restaurant is serving at 1230 South Hover Street. Plan ahead. Taste of the Town, November 12, at the Dickens Opera House, features 12 Longmont chefs. The Boulder Farmer's Market Winter Market is December 2-3 at the Boulder County Fair, 595 Nelson Road in Longmont. Attention Keto Dieters. Hippo's Mexican Burgers in Broomfield is offering a free eight-pound burger, but only to diners who can eat the whole thing in one sitting. Skittles and Wine, Candy Corn with Cheese. According to CandyCorn.com's data, Reese's Cups, M&M's, Hot Tamales, Skittles, Starburst, Candy Corn, and Snickers 
are among the top 10 most popular Halloween candies in America. The list does not include Milky Way, the lame, bland candy that is apparently the most popular bar in Colorado. Who did they survey? Certainly not kids. Just because you're a sophisticated wine drinker doesn't mean you don't also love candy. Brent Karlicek, beverage director at Postino Wine Cafe, of pairing Halloween favorites with appropriate vintages. For instance, he likes fake fruity Skittles with high-rise Sauvignon Blanc, a wine he describes as a, quote, fresh, focused, and zippy with a hint of lime, unquote. His other pairings include Starburst with Fiore Moscato d'Asti, Caramel Apples with Holly's Way Chardonnay, and Twizzlers, strawberry, not licorice, with Mary Taylor Cabernet Franc. Meanwhile, this month's issue of Culture, a cheese magazine, offers tongue-in-cheek candy and cheese pairings, including candy corn matched with myrnolette, a creamy, mild, soft-ripened cheese which produces caramel toffee in your mouth. Words to chew on. Sign of the pie. The vampire leaned forward, tapping a and asked, is that a lion with horns and a pitchfork? Yep. Is he carrying a moon on his pitchfork? No, it's a pie. From the novel Magic Bleeds by Ilona Andrews. John Lendorf is the former dining critic for the Rocky Mountain News. Dining suggestions to nibbles at boulderweekly.com. Entertainment. Stage. Sour Note. Tina struggles to find its rhythm at the Denver Center for the Performing Arts by Tony Tresca, October 26, 2023. In the glitzy world of jukebox musicals, the rhythm of legendary lives often finds harmony on stage. But in the touring production of Tina, the Tina Turner Musical, which wraps its run at the Denver Center for the Performing Arts this weekend, the story of the life and music falls surprisingly flat. Though brimming with potential, the production fails to do justice to the famed singer, leaving audiences yearning for the spark that lit up her beloved discography. Based on the life of the late performer, the musical chronicles Turner's journey from her humble beginnings in Nutbush, Tennessee, to her rise to fame alongside her abusive husband and musical partner, Ike Turner. The story follows her escape from Ike, her struggle to rebuild her career, and her eventual emergence as a global superstar. Ari Groover, who shares the role of Tina Turner with Paris Lewis and portrayed the character on opening night at the Denver Center for the Performing Arts, gave a wildly inconsistent performance at the heart of this underwhelming production. Groover's portrayal reduced Turner, a multifaceted to a one-dimensional victim who rises above her circumstances. The complexities of the character, which are crucial to understanding Turner's incredible journey, were conspicuously absent, disconnecting the audience from the icon they expected to see. Groover also struggled to match Turner's vocal prowess. Monster hits like 
what's love got to do with it, were rendered with all the fervor of a lackluster karaoke performance, leaving theater-goers longing for the soul-stirring renditions that once shook arenas around the world. The disjointed nature of the performance was exacerbated by Phyllida Lloyd's directorial choices. The opening sequence, Etherland, Sound of Mystic Law, was a rare bright spot offering a promising ode to Turner's spiritual and ancestral connection. This imaginative sequence, replete with metaphors and symbolism, sparked excitement for what was to come. This promise, however, quickly faded as the production settled into a standard unimaginative rhythm with the majority of the musical numbers staged naturally. The transition from abstract to realistic scenes was sloppy, giving viewers a disjointed experience. What's love got to do with it? Further marring the experience was the inexplicable reliance on over-the-top stage violence, which elicited uncomfortable laughter from the audience. Turner's turbulent past certainly merits acknowledgement, but the lack of subtlety in its portrayal left a sense of crassness, detracting from the overall narrative's emotional impact. The visual aspects of the production were equally wanting. Jeff Sugg's un design, a wall of projections, filled the stage with cheesy graphics that failed to evoke the grandeur and creativity expected from a production celebrating a musical titan. Compounding this visual disappointment was scenic designer Mark Thompson's decision to shrink the stage via a false proscenium, relegating the production to a smaller scale than one would anticipate at the Buell Theater. Thompson, also responsible for the costume design, managed to salvage a glimmer of authenticity through skilled recreations of Turner's unforgettable concert looks, Yet these moments of visual brilliance were few and far between, failing to compensate for the otherwise lacking designs that dominated the stage. Thompson squandered the opportunity to visually tell the decades-spanning story through clothing, instead ensemble in bland, interchangeable pieces. With all this working against the show, Tina struggles to carve out its own identity in a landscape saturated with jukebox musicals. At a time when audiences crave innovative storytelling and immersive experiences, this production falls short, leaving viewers with a sense of missed opportunity and unfulfilled potential. This disappointment is heightened by the recent passing of Tina Turner, a legend who deserved a memorial fit for the fervor and passion she brought to her work. In light of this unfortunate misfire, I recommend theater enthusiasts seek out a different musical experience. Despite being a work of fiction, Dream Girls, performed by a local cast at the Lone Tree Arts Center and masterfully directed by the talented Kenny Mo loosely adopts the Supremes' lives and creates a narrative that resonates far more deeply than Tina. 
Also running through October 29, Lone Tree's production promises a theatrical journey that captures the essence of musical greatness with a finesse that this touring Tina Turner tribute sorely lacks. On stage, Tina Turner, the musical. Various times through October 29, at the Denver Center for the Performing Arts, Buell Theater, 1350 Curtis Street in Denver. Tickets at denvercenter.org. Entertainment Screen. Can't Help Falling in Love. Priscilla is a familiar story turned inside out. By Michael J. Casey, October 26, 2023. It's the early 1960s and Priscilla and both 14 years old. She doesn't have any friends or hobbies, just the day-in, day-out monotony of living on a U.S. Army base in West Germany. But you know who else is stationed on this base? Elvis Presley. Elvis was drafted into the service in 1958, but by the time he and Priscilla crossed paths, it seems his rank is head entertainer to the officers. Not bad work if you could get it and certainly the sort of thing a young girl like Priscilla would want to be a part of. Priscilla, the latest from writer-director Sofia Coppola, is a story of deflation, or rather, it's an all-American love story Coppola is constantly trying to deflate. It's understandable why Priscilla, Kaylee Spaney, outstanding, would be enchanted and attracted to Elvis, Jacob Elordi, just as good despite their 10-year age difference. Is he tall, dark, and handsome? He's Elvis goddamn Presley, the king of rock and roll, and there's nothing else to do on this base. Here is where expectations begin to deflate. 24-year-old Elvis courts the young Priscilla, but he's more interested in popping pills and going to sleep next to her than sleeping with her. It's a letdown for Priscilla, the first of many. A couple of years pass, and Elvis returns to Graceland in Tennessee and requests the presence of Priscilla. She goes, thrilled to be finally away from Germany and out from under her parents. But if she was hoping for wild parties with celebrities and passionate nights with the king, she quickly realizes that Elvis spends most of his days with his boys, the Memphis Mafia, and his nights living a chaste life, at least with her deflation again. Are you lonesome tonight? Elvis Hollywood to make movies and Priscilla reads about his rotating affairs in the tabloids. He comes home, denies the rumors, and continues not to sleep with her. Distracted by the boys, the pills, the desire to make better movies, and a growing interest in pop spirituality. All the while, Priscilla, with her jet black hair and fashionable outfits, wanders the empty rooms of Graceland. She is growing older, but Coppola and her hair and makeup team continue to make Spaney look childlike. She is a kept woman, the kind Elvis desires, and Priscilla goes along with it because she loves him, trusts him, and can't believe he will betray that trust. Working from Priscilla Presley's 1985 memoir, Elvis and Me, Coppola opts not for the history lesson and instead turns the narrative inside out, focuses on the romance. 
When Elvis leaves to shoot movies in Hollywood, the camera stays in Tennessee with Priscilla. When Elvis goes out with the boys for a pill-popping, gun-shooting good time, the camera stays with Priscilla in the empty sitting room of Graceland. Where so many filmmakers before have been enchanted by Elvis that they stick to him like glue, Coppola eschews the king for quiet time with his sequestered queen. Priscilla is an itchy kind of movie. The pacing is languid and often restless. Elvis's temper is violent and sudden, and his approach to marriage is as conservative as his music is radical. But he is a handsome fellow, and even though Elordi doesn't exactly look like Elvis, his mannerisms, confidence, and vocal inflections paint a picture of what so many found charming about the king. Frame, even when Coppola and cinematographer Philippe Le Sourde train their camera on Priscilla, it's as if they are saying you have to look to see her, and in a way, maybe she can't even see herself. But when she does, Priscilla finally takes the action the story has been calling for, and the movie's narrative snaps into perfect clarity. On screen, Priscilla opens in limited release October 27 and expands November 3. Events. Holiday Gift Market. In person. Saturday, October 28, 9 to 4 p.m., and Sunday, October 29, 11 to 12 p.m. at St. John's Episcopal Church Parish Hall, 1419 Pine Street in Boulder, free. Local artists sharing woodcrafts, paintings, knitted items, bags, kitchen items, jewelry, quilts, pillows, soap, and more. Proceeds benefit St. John's Social Action Ministries, including services to unhoused individuals, immigrants and refugees, climate change projects, Indigenous People Outreach, and Families of Whittier School. Event contact is Karen de Bartolome. Email is K de Bartolome, K D E B A R T O L. O-M-E at gmail.com or 303-931-5441. Events. The What Festival 2023, Saturday, October 28, 9 to 4 p.m. University of Colorado, Boulder, Colorado, 303-492-1411. A festival for experimental games and interactions, part conference, part arcade, part cereal bar, in person at the Atlas Institute. For more information, visit eventbrite.com slash e slash what, that's w-h-a-a-t dash festival dash 2023 dash tickets. Thank you for joining us for the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Levine. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.